It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today on The State of Us. What is No Labels, and could it be the answer to the divide in America in 2024? We are the common sense majority. That's the claim on the nolabels.org website. And they're asking people to join a movement where the fundamental notion is that Washington only works for Washington. No Labels is working to change that. They're a national movement of common sense Americans pushing their leaders together to solve the country's biggest problems. Welcome to the State of Us. I'm your host, Justin T. Weller. Joined, of course, today by my co-host, Lance Jackson. And our guest joining us today uh, has been on the program multiple times before. He's the chief strategist at No Labels, has been working with the movement for over a decade. We're very pleased to welcome back Ryan Clancy to the program. Ryan, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So uh, we'll get kind of right into it. I know that, uh, you know, Lance and I have been paying attention to what you guys have been doing, and there's a lot going on. Um, but one of the questions I think that we have first and foremost for our listeners uh, everywhere is what do you, what is no labels actually trying to do? Like this sounds great. Uh, this notion of a common sense majority, um, no labels has been around a while and obviously is getting some press attention here for what you're planning to do in, in the 2024 election. So what are you actually trying to do? How would you explain it to folks? So we have been around for over a decade. And of course, we've talked with you guys uh, a couple different points along the way. And for much of that time, our focus was on Congress. So people know no labels for the work we've done to create this group, the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus and the House of Representatives, which has got over 60 members, uh, an allied Senate group that we brought together with them. And as dysfunctional as Washington has been, this group has been responsible for some pretty significant bipartisan achievements these last couple of years, like the, the infrastructure bill in 2021. There was a big, uh, the CHIPS Act was a big semiconductor legislation in 22, and also the rewrite of the Electoral Count Act, which um, is a really important law that uh, will clarify what needs to happen in the post-election period so we prevent the horrors of January 6, 2021 forever from ever happening again. So that is what where we've been focused for most of our history. Of course, the reason we're getting a lot more attention of late is uh, for the last year, we've been working to prepare to get ballot access in states across the country to potentially nominate an independent unity presidential ticket in 2024. So a unity presidential ticket, what, do, what does that mean? That would be ideally a, a Democrat and a Republican on the ticket. And uh, we have been, as I noted, been working to get ballot access in the states. We've, we've already gotten over 700,000 signatures over the last year. We're on the ballot in six states already confirmed and uh, expect to be on over 20 by the end of the year and have a plan to get on a 50 plus DC 
by next year. And the whole idea here is to create the opening for a ticket if and only if the public wants it. And, and that, that's what I, I think is different from what we're doing from a lot of previous, you know, call it independent presidential runs, is if there's not an opening, if we don't think there's a path for an independent unity ticket to win outright in the Electoral College, we won't nominate one. We have no interest in fueling a spoiler or protest candidacy. That makes sense. And I, and I can appreciate that. But what are the parameters or have you, you know, as, as a group, what have you discussed? What will be the checklist to make that determination? I understand you have to do all the groundwork. You know, if people don't understand, you have to get on every state to, you know, every state's ballot. It's not like a national ballot, right? So um, I understand you have to do that ahead of time. But what will those determining factors be on whether or not you decide to run a presidential team? So there's a, there's a couple key things you're, we'd be looking at as we get into next year. And, and, and our plan is to make a decision somewhere in between Super Tuesday, uh, which is in early February of 24. That's when you, excuse me, early March. Um, that's when you usually know who the two major party nominees are going to be. And then No Labels Convention. We're planning a big convention in Dallas in 2020-24 in uh, mid-April. And so in between Super Tuesday and the convention, we'd make the go, no-go decision. Now, the question of, well, how would you decide? There's, there's really two key things we'd be looking at. Uh, obviously, there's no single poll that you can take as gospel these days. We all know the, the limits of that. But two things you'd be looking at is, one, what is the approval of both of the major party nominees? Are, are they still both as unpopular? as they appear to be right now. And two, one of the questions we've been asking in a lot of surveys over the last 18 months is, if it were Trump, Biden, and a moderate independent running for president, would you be open to voting for the moderate independent? Well, we just had our latest poll come back showing that open to number up in the mid-60s. You just don't see a reading that high. I mean, to, 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 if you go back to 1992, Ross Perot, sort of the high watermark for an independent run. He, he was leading in the polls in June of 92 with in the mid-30s in, in a poll against Clinton and Bush. He was actually leading before he got out of the race. And so to see today, mid-60% of the public saying they're open to alternative, uh, an alternative, you, you just don't see numbers like that. Is, is that the level? I mean, if, if you have... Trump, Biden, and a 60% approval rating for a moderate candidate, then it would be a go? Or are you looking to see the, to make that get higher? Or is there something else that you would also factor in? Or is that, that basically it? Trump, Biden, and a 60% interest rate. One of the things people might think of when they hear, uh, well, 60, mid-60s percent are, are open to a moderate independent, people might say, well, wait a minute, open to that doesn't mean they're going to vote for that moderate independent. Correct. And then, oh, by the way, um, what is a moderate independent anyway? Can, can't we all just project our most idealized version of what we think that's going to be? And, and the short answer to those, both those questions is yes. Um, that's, that is your absolute ceiling. And you're never, frankly, getting close to that. The, the second you actually name a, a, a ticket, You'll have some number of people who say, well, yeah, I was open to a moderate independent, but, you know, not that person. 
Right. But what, what suggests to us that there's an opening is when the ceiling is up in the, in the 60s. And remember, in a three-way race, you might, know, not, might only need 35 36% uh, of the uh, vote share to win outright in the Electoral College because every state is winner-take-all in, uh, in the Electoral College. That suggests to you that if you just get 60% of the people who say, I'm, quote, open to voting for a moderate independent, that, that ticket could win. So th- that's the, those are really the two key things we'd be looking at. What is the appetite for an alternative? And what is the view of the major party nominees uh, here in the, in the spring of 2024? That, that would tell you a lot about whether there's an opening. The other thing I'd add is, Lance, we will be looking at just broader directional feelings in the country. Look, we're not uh, naive to the fact that uh, independent candidacies don't get traction typically in America for a lot of different reasons. And, and most people are used to voting for one or two, uh, of two major party nominees. So um, you're potentially asking people to do something they don't usually do. And our feeling is that you're only going to get them to do that if they feel really unhappy about the choices that they're being given, and they feel really unhappy about the direction of the country. So that that's a, a broader thing. Is it's it's hard to imagine uh, an independent candidate really picking up traction unless the electorate is pretty cranky and pessimistic about the future, and they are certainly that right now. When I taught government in history. I would talk about the number of people who didn't even bother to vote. And if a, if a candidate could get all the people who would be eligible to vote actually registered and vote, they could win an election. Have you done any polling on how you might get that large group of Americans? I don't think most people understand how many people talk about voting, but then never vote. Have you done any research on, on how many of those people you could get out to where you could actually then be successful? So I'll share with you a really interesting finding about that is in 2020, turnout among registered voters was about 65%, which um, still isn't really very good uh, relative to most other developed countries, but it was a high watermark. It was, it was one of the highest turnouts we've had in, uh, in about a century. Yes. But that still means there's 80 million registered voters who could have voted but didn't. It's very risky to build a, a path to victory on um, the prospect of people who don't vote ever suddenly deciding they want to vote. One of the things that's different that we've seen in the polling is in the last couple elections, there is a phenomenon of voters who typically do vote but haven't voted in the last couple elections hmm. because they are so unhappy with their choices. And um, so in other words, these aren't the people who just never vote and are disengaged. These are the people who usually do vote, but they're so turned off by their options that they just don't haven't bothered showing up. And a great example is if you take a look at Arizona in the 22 midterms, um, you all will recall there was a lot of prognostication on the front end of the midterms about mm-hmm. the coming red wave that yes. Republicans were going to have this huge sweep and wipe out Democrats in the election. And it didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen is because a lot of independent-minded voters who often do vote stayed home. So if you look at Arizona, for example, and why Carrie Lake 
the Republican uh, Senate nominee. Why didn't she win? It wasn't because uh, turnout wasn't high among uh, Republicans. It, it was pretty high. It was there. Uh, there was a huge chunk of independent voters in Arizona who just didn't bother showing up. Both parties have now gotten very comfortable with the idea of thinking they don't even have to offer up candidates people like anymore. They just count on um, voters hating or fearing the other side enough. Such an important uh, theme that you just hit on, because I feel like we've been saying this now for, I don't know, months, maybe years on this program is, what does it say about the state of our political system in this country if what governs our decisions for who to vote for are based on who we're most afraid of rather than who we're most inspired by. Um, and and such an important point because, I mean, it's no secret, Ryan, obviously, that what you guys do in it is bold. It's ambitious. Um, there's plenty of people out there that probably think it's absolutely insane. Uh, but to your point also, if there was ever a time, uh, this is probably it because people are are more motivated by what they fear will happen if somebody else gets elected than how inspiring their candidate is about the the future of our country, or at least it certainly seems to be that way. I mean, exactly. Uh, you know, the, the academics even have a term for it. It's called you know negative polarization, which is we're, we're increasingly voting against things rather than um, voting for them. And we just believe that if you actually could could give Americans an affirmative choice they felt good about in 2024, that they'd show up and vote for that choice. I mean, look, I mentioned that we've done a lot of polling, but the one uh, poll finding that is just universal, uh, not just our polling, it's just every single poll that you look at, is that over two thirds of the country doesn't want the 2020 election again. They, they do not want, it's, it's, the, it's the sequel nobody wants to see. And yet somehow we are on this path where it seems like that's what we're going to get. And I think a lot of people just um, look, on, look at this with real exasperation. And they say, if we're, if we're a democracy, then how is it that we end up where 60, 70 percent of the people could say, please don't give me that election. And it's the election we're going to get. And the answer for that has a lot to do with the primary process and uh, the fact that uh, in reality, um, most voters don't actually decide who we pick for president. I'll give you just one stat that's kind of striking. If you go back over the last 20 years and look at voter turnout in uh, the party presidential primaries, it's about 27%. So about one quarter of all the voters in this country decide the two people we're going to get to choose from. And for a while, that worked okay. But it's, it's really not working anymore. We, we are now into this space where the, the party primaries keep elevating candidates. The public, most of the public, doesn't want to vote for it. And that's part of the reason there could be an unusually big opening for an alternative here in 2024. We're going to keep talking about this potential for an unusually big opening and how No Labels is looking to capitalize on that opportunity to maybe restore some hope and vision to America. Keep it here on The State of Us. We'll be right back. Lucky 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We've been talking with Ryan Clancy, the chief strategist at No Labels. He's been with the organization for over a decade now. And honestly, Ryan, during the break, one of the things I was thinking about is why are you still doing this? Um, I mean, not to, you know, not to just totally go away from what we were talking about, but, but why are you, right, uh, somebody that has devoted so much time of their professional career to this, why are you still doing this? Um, surely working for a, a nonprofit that isn't mainstream, that's based in Washington, D.C., is not the most lucrative thing that you could be doing. So, so why do this? It's very, it's difficult some days, <laughs> but you know, fundamentally it's because I believe in the mission and I, and I do really think, um, number one, that the only path out of this political mess we're in is ultimately for a critical mass of people, Democrats and Republicans and independents to come together and to try to tamp down these political divisions that are tearing us apart. So, so that's why I stay involved. I, I will say this, though, is that as, as frustrating as things are, uh, things are on the headline level, and of course, look, we're, we're talking here and, and, and recently, uh, former, our former president got indicted again. And, uh, and, and so there's a, there's a lot of indicators that you could look at of our dysfunction to suggest things just keep getting worse and worse. On the other hand, there has been tremendous progress in, the, in the, the growth of the no labels movement. I mean, when we started out, there was no such thing as a House Problem Solvers Caucus. There was no organized uh, kind of body where, where members from both sides could try to work together. Well, we helped create that. And um, as, as I mentioned at the top, as bad as uh, things have been in Washington these last couple of years, there's been landmark legislation that has gotten done, bipartisan. You know, the infrastructure bill is the biggest federal investment in public works since Eisenhower built the interstate highway system. So um, it's not that things never get done. They do. But the problem is, is it's like the exception. It, it, is, it is pushing a boulder up a hill and, and every so often you can, you can get there. Um, the, what we want is for that kind of problem solving, bipartisan problem solving, to be the norm. Is this the next step then, you think, in this process? Because like you said, you started the Problem Solvers Caucus and they've been instrumental in getting some important legislation passed. Do you think probing for this presidential run is just the next step in that process? Or is it more because it is just the right time? 
because so many people are disenchanted with a rematch of 2020. It, for us, it really is the next step in the process. This is not a departure from where we've been. It's, it's an extension of it. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, if you think about that infrastructure bill, it was both the high point for our movement, but a reminder of just how hard this is because um, I, I, I don't know how many people will remember this, but when that infrastructure bill passed, there were elements on the far right and the far left that hated it and voted against it. And um, it was so difficult to get that legislation passed. There was so much acrimony. If, if you recall on the Democratic side of the aisle, um, you know, the folks on the, on the left flank of the party wanted that infrastructure bill grafted onto much broader social legislation, uh, President Biden's Build Back Better bill. On, on the other hand, on the far right, you just had, um, they just wanted to kill the bill. They didn't want anything to pass. And it shouldn't be that hard to pass an infrastructure bill. I mean, this is roads and bridges. This is not the tough stuff. This is not abortion or immigration or all the other hot button issues where we know why people, um, you know, um, get very heated about it. And so I think what we realized is, look, we're very proud of what we built in Congress and um, we're going to keep building that. But we're not really going to fundamentally change the incentives in the, in the system and the trajectory of our politics unless we start getting this kind of politics at the highest level. And that's president. And um, we just figured, look, if we can start getting on the ballot, if we can release a, 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 some policy ideas, which we did, and I know we'll talk about this in a bit with our common sense policy playbook, we can start to change the conversation in this country and, and, and the fundamental direction we're headed. So Ryan, one thing that I'm sure is coming to, to people's minds is let's say these conditions that we talked about uh, earlier in, in today's episode are met and it's decided that no labels is going to put forward a ticket. Um, two, two kind of things that I think are intertwined. Who, who makes that go, no go decision uh, who, who's in charge of that at no labels. And then, um, you know, also, uh, how are those candidates going to be chosen? Because those seem to be very fundamentally, obviously important things to whether or not this could work, uh, is both whether or not to proceed, uh, but then also, uh, who is going to be proceeded with. So what can you tell us about sure. what that process is going to look like? So I, no labels has a has a governing board that would make the go no go decision. And of course, we have we have people uh, like our co-chairs, um, former Senator Joe Lieberman and former Governor Pat McCrory and uh, former Governor Larry Hogan and uh, Dr. Benjamin Chavis, who's the former executive director of the NAACP and a real civil rights icon. So so those and they and others are the ones that would make the go no go decision. The process for picking a ticket. Uh, that's something we're still working on, and, and we'll have more details on that in the fall. What we're trying to do is get a sweet spot, and it's, it's hard to find because there's so many ways you can do this. Uh, on the one hand, you, you don't want to have some smoke-filled room where it's just a, a couple people picking a candidate, you know, kind of like how the, the Vatican picks a pope, you know, like get a couple of people in a room and out comes the white smoke. Here's your pope. Here's your presidential candidate. That doesn't work. On the other hand, you can't have it be too much of a freewheeling process because there was a group about a decade ago that tried to do an internet 
presidential primary. And it, it just became a total free for all. And you get trolls into the process. And before you know it, Mickey Mouse is your candidate. And so somewhere in between those two extremes is a sweet spot where there is, on the one hand, um, transparency and broad participation um, from, you know, no labels members and the public. Um, on the other hand, th there's also enough structure in the process that you don't end up with a ticket that doesn't represent the values of the no labels movement. I am biased and, and I guess that should be disclosed. Obviously, we've been following this, you know, a long time and I volunteered for no labels in the past and um, been been involved at different points. And And I guess part of it is some of this has to be figured out right as you go, because it's not as if uh, one of the things that that Lance and I had spoke about is, you know, why is there a chance this can work versus 2016? And, and you already spoke about that a little bit before, because we were two people in the media landscape in 2016 saying a vote for a third party candidate is a vote thrown away. Um, and I mean, we were not shy about that. You know, there there were there were a number of people that we spoke to that were that were interested, for example, in Gary Johnson. And, you know, this is this is the alternative. This is the option because we don't like the options that are being put forward. So therefore, you know, well, and, and it was it can't work, guys. So if you do that, um, rather than having an influence over what happens, you're actually just not having an influence at all. This seems to be different in that you have a different strategy and a different approach. But some of this, right, I mean, you you kind of have to develop as the situation evolves, partly because uh, it's not as if uh, there's a clear path that everybody's taken before that's going to work to do what you're trying to do. Let's define what a spoiler is. And I think most people agree would agree a spoiler is two things. A spoiler is a candidate that almost certainly can't win, number one. And number two, a spoiler is a candidate that whatever votes they do get are disproportionately coming from one side. So they're, they're spoiling the election for one candidate more than the other. And so when you think about candidates that fit that profile, you think about somebody like Ralph Nader in 2000, who got, you know, 2.8% of the vote. And I think most people would argue most votes he got otherwise would have went to Al Gore. In 2016, Jill Stein got 1% of the vote. Well, and most votes she got otherwise would have went to Hillary Clinton. They were both left-wing protest candidates. In this cycle, we now have Cornell West, a very well-known academic, very much a, a person of the left. Jill Stein is actually his campaign manager. He may run um, for the Green Party nomination. So those three candidates do look like spoilers uh, when you think about historically. Then a no-labels ticket would look nothing like that. Uh, by definition, any ticket we would put up would be one that is designed to appeal to the vast middle of the country. And I'll share you one thing. Um, we looked very closely at the 92 race when Ross Perot ran. And um, Perot, I think, was the last time you could argue that an independent ran with an appeal towards the vast middle of the electorate. And after the election, NBC did a huge exit poll of Perot voters and asked them, if Perot hadn't have been in the race, who would you have voted for? And 38% said Bush, senior, 38% said Bill Clinton, and 24% said uh, we wouldn't have voted at all. And when we've done our polling over the course of the last year, we're seeing about the same thing. So, so in, uh, the idea of a moderate independent or a, a unity ticket appeals pretty uh, evenly 
to both sides of the aisle. Ryan, uh, we really appreciate you making time to talk to us today. Lance and I have, you know, a million questions and we only barely scratch the surface, but for our listeners, we want to make sure that they know uh, Ryan is going to join us again and we're going to talk a little bit about some of this uh, this policy that they've come up with because again, it's not enough to just say we want to appeal to the vast middle. Well, what does that take? Well, they've put in the time and the energy into the research to develop what would that look like, something that could actually uh, bring the, the the vast middle, so to speak, uh, together. So thank you, Ryan, for taking time. And we're really excited to continue the conversation uh, in another episode with you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We had the opportunity to speak with Ryan Clancy, the chief strategist at No Labels. He's been on the show a few times before. Um, obviously, there was a lot of different ground that we covered, and, and the goal for uh, this episode was to really talk about uh, No Labels holistically and what they're trying to do for 2024 and whether or not there's a chance it could work. But as a reminder to our listeners, there is another episode coming where we're going to talk more about the policy components. How did, how did they develop uh, what they call common sense which is sort of a set of ideas that need addressed, that can be addressed in the nation. But Lance, we heard Ryan's explanation. We asked him, what are they actually trying to do? He explained that. He also explained why he thinks there's a chance this time versus other times that we've seen third-party candidates try. I mean, we asked him specifically about 2016, for example, where you and I were both people at the time telling our listeners, and for those still listening, voting for a third party is a waste of your time. However, they're contending it's different this time around. I think it is different because of the scenario that they've polled and found out um, that there is a large number, over 50%, of the American public that does not want to see a Biden-Trump rematch. So that makes it different. But it's like, well, why are they starting this process? Why is no label starting this process or this idea so early? Well, as Ryan explained, each when we have a national election for president, it's basically, and we talked about this on the show before, 50 separate elections because each state runs its own election. And so you have to get on each state's ballots and each state has a different set of rules on how you do that. So no labels is just doing the groundwork right now to try to get on all 50 ballots, which they're not yet. What they told us yesterday, what Ryan told us was we're only running candidates if we think we have a legitimate shot to win. And, and they won't is, make that go-no-go decision until it sounds until like- Until after the primary season until after started. Super Tuesday. Right. They're talking middle of March, right. you know, April before they decide. So they're going to let this all play out. And we all know when it comes to presidential politics, there is a lot of time between now and next April. Many, many, many things could happen. I mean, right? We're not, you know, I mean, and I'm not even talking about what everybody, you know, President Biden's 
you know, issues with the economy and his health, Trump and his legal problems, Ukraine, right? I mean, those are just the things we know about. Who who knows what's going to happen between, between now and then that we have no idea are even going to occur. And I think it would be very interesting, and we may get into this after, you know, what you have to say, but I think it would be interesting to see a legitimate third-party candidate right. run. Yeah, it would be. So I don't think it's a spoiler if we got Trump Biden. I think if we don't get Trump Biden, it might be a spoiler. And right. then they, they But it depends run. a lot on who the candidates are. I mean, and I think that was a big part of what right. Ryan was explaining too, is that one of the reasons it's really difficult to say at this point is we don't know. Okay, if it's not Biden, who's who's the other Democrat that would make it a viable option? Well, for nobody's them? even announced. Yeah, there, there, there's two other, there's two wow. minor people that Democrats if nobody's that announced are, that has that a chance at the moment. Okay, yeah, but you know. I just want to make sure. I know, I know. Know, Techn- I want to be right. Speaking, yes. Well, I'm sure that the libertarians have somebody. No, no, I'm saying there's two other Democrats that are running against I, Biden. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying in addition, to, like there's other people. Right. There's lots of other people, I'm sure, running, quote unquote, running for president. But it's that whole thing of who actually stands a chance. But if the primaries were today, is there anybody, are, are there any listeners to today's program that would like to contend that if the primaries were held right now, today, you know, so no labels isn't part of this process and the Republicans have their options and the Democrats have their options that our two nominees wouldn't be Biden and Trump? Well, right now they're both leading. So, I mean, so yeah. Right. Answer, so if it was held today. But that's my point is a lot can happen between now and then. Sure. And that's what no labels is allowing for. Yeah. They're not saying this is a done deal. They're Because things could shift and change. Very much so. And you could end up with a candidate that the country's actually excited about instead of candidates And I appreciate that, their realistic view that we might do all of this work and it not right. come to fruition. Mm-hmm. But they're willing to do the work because they see that opportunity well, it's important. Of, it's important to have the option, right? Is kind of the, I mean, the way they pitch it on their website, right, is an insurance policy, which is why I'm not against it. Mm-hmm. You know, I know there are many in the Democratic Party who are against this because they say, well, if they run, Trump voters are going to vote for Trump, and the people who vote for us won't. They'll vote for that third party, and then Trump will get it. And I, and, and I don't, and, I don't see uh, after yesterday's show, I don't see that. Okay, yeah, I don't think that's what no labels is after, and so I wholeheartedly support what they're doing at this point. I, I guess the kind of the way that I look at it to to sum it up for people is, it sounds wise for where we're at right now. Like if you're an American that's in that majority of Americans that don't want Biden or Trump to run, then we should all be happy that this is taking place. There's a lot to develop, not just with the Republicans and the Democrats, but also with what No Labels does in reaction to that. Who is being spoken to? Because you know the conversations are happening. You know, So who, who's being talked about as the right type of figure to bring forward? Because the other thing is they're not just talking about one. Remember, I mean, the notion here, I think that's really important for people to remember, is that they're looking at elevating somebody uh, who is a known Democrat and a known Republican to be on the same ticket. Um, you know, one is president, one is vice president, which I, the last time that we had a vice president of a different party than a president was probably before we changed the law to say that, uh, you know, that we were going to, because it used to be, for for those that don't remember, the person with the second most 
votes in the Electoral College became vice president, which is why, for example, like, you know, if you look back at our founders, why was Thomas Jefferson John Adams vice president? Because he came in second to John Adams. Was it, and we can check this, but wasn't it Lincoln's second term when he dropped Hamlin mm-hmm. and picked up Andrew Johnson? Wasn't Andrew Johnson a and Democrat? Fr- yeah. What does that tell you, though, about the last time that it was important for a presidential candidate to try to show some unity, right? To say that you know that it has to be more than just saying I want that. I have to. I have to show it. You know, with action, and obviously showing it by putting two people of the opposing parties on the same presidential ticket is, uh, you know, certainly a way to to demonstrate that. I mean, there there are people that are members of the no label organization that have whose names have been floated out there. Yeah, who are very intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. From both Democrats and Republicans, you know, former senators, former governors who yep. I've respected a lot of their policies on both sides of the aisle. So I get excited about that. You know, now I know some other people that I've talked to, some of the names that have been floated out there don't interest them as much as it does me. To your point of picking the right ones is going to be very important. Right. Because as we all know, every politician comes with some baggage. Yep. So you're going to have to, you know, you are going to walk a fine line there. But when you look at some of the names on the Republican and Democratic side that are part of or have been part of the problem caucus, I think there's a good group of names to choose from. So not putting the cart before the horse, you know, we'll have to just wait and see how the primary season plays out and where no labels is. If a third party candidate runs and has broad enough appeal that they can take enough voters from your candidate to cause somebody else's candidate to get elected, doesn't that mean that there's a problem with your candidate? Right. I mean, I'm just just asking (laughs) from a logical standpoint here. Like, well, we don't want, we Republicans, we Democrats, we don't want no labels to have access because they'll take voters from our candidates. So isn't the answer that you need a better candidate? So right now it's Joe Biden versus nobody at no labels. And you're afraid that they're going to take votes with this no name ticket. You know, I mean, what doesn't that say something about the lead candidate? It's an excellent point. I, I mean, I think that's a huge, you know, not that, you know, I'm not working for no labels anymore, but like, hey. No labels. <laughs> that seems to me like one of the one well, of, one of your, something the Democrats ought to be starting to reflect a little bit then, right? And, well, right. But I mean, and I think that's part of you know, we didn't get to ask Ryan that, but I would think that's part of what no labels is going for too, is forcing, you know what I mean, some of those conversations about are these really the can are we okay with these candidates, you know? And if we're not, them doing what they're doing, even if they don't end up running a candidate, is putting pressure on the primary process to say, is this who we're comfortable with coming well, forward? Well, the Wall Street Journal editorial board just came out with a piece that said, are the Republicans going to be smart enough to run somebody who can beat Joe Biden? Right. It's there for the taking. Or are they going to put up Trump? Right. I mean, and that's the conservative Wall Street Journal, right? Yeah. And they're saying, we could run, all, we have a lot of possibilities that could beat Biden. You could well, have a shoe in for who do you want? So uh, why do we do the show today, Lance? What was the point? Well, because True Chat has a mission. 
And that is to educate people by providing honest, open, and respectful conversations. And I think we did that today. Enjoyed the show. Thank you to Ryan for coming on. And tell your family and friends about it. They listen. Tell them that they can find us as a podcast if they want to get it firsthand on Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are found. The State of Us releases new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, first thing in the morning as a podcast. Those same episodes are heard on AM and FM radio stations across the United States and parts of Canada. For The State of Us, I'm Justin T. Weller. I'm Lance Jackson. Special thanks to our guest, Ryan Clancy, Chief Strategist at No Labels Today. And of course, thank you to our team here at The State of Us, Levi LaForge, Editing Producer, and Bradley Butch, Senior Producer for The State of Us. And thank you all, our audience, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Be the change. Be sure to check out our website, thestateofus.org, for books, articles, and all the ways to tune in. Thestateofus.org.